Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 163. Today's episode is kind of a special one. I interviewed today's guest, Drew Nichols, on a a previous episode, actually for Artifice episode 100, kind of a special one. And, you know, because Drew was one of my most favorite humans on the planet, I just had to talk to him again um, about new projects and new topics, new philosophies. Um, And so this is the second installation of kind of like the sub-series, you know, returns, Drew Nichols returns. Um, And so it's exciting to have kind of a a new conversation that's less about, you know, the creative development and more about the creative present, which is something that I've, I've really in loved, uh, talking with a couple of, of my previous guests a second time. And, and I look forward to doing more of that. Um, I don't have any big, uh, announcements to share. There is, uh, likely some new writing on my blog that you haven't seen yet. If you're hearing this and it's been a minute and of course there's music on the internet. Um, there are plenty of ways to know what I'm up to and what I'm making next and to kind of follow along, um, including by listening to this episode because Drew and I talk about it a little bit. Um, so I'll keep the intro short and uh, now I'll tell you a little bit more about Drew. Drew Nichols at age four received a police escort home while selling handmade puppets door to door. You can hear more about that on the, the first uh, the first of Drew's episodes. He later studied music composition at Arizona State, toured with The Wizard of Oz and worked for Wiser Sound as a keyboard programming assistant for Broadway's Phantom of the Opera, Sunset Boulevard, Les Mis, Cats, Miss Saigon, School of Rock and NBC's Jesus Christ Superstar Live. Now he's focused on integrating digital production, distribution, and musical theater development with the aim of democratizing, decentralizing, and expanding the industry. So cool. We talk a little bit more about that too, and Drew has lots of uh, great writing about it as well. His new show, Macabre Mortality Services, is streaming as an elaborate radio musical comedy on podcast platforms. You can visit macabmusical.com to see more. And that's M-C-C-O-B-B, macabmusical.com. Yeah. Like I said before, Drew is one of my, just my favorite people in the world. One of my favorite minds and hearts um, that I've ever known and just one of my oldest friends. And it's a pleasure to have him back on the podcast. Um, And I can't wait for you to hear uh, everything we get into. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with my old friend, Drew Nichols. Here comes. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Oh my gosh, how are you? I'm so tired. I mean, not like, I'm sleep, yes, but just like... Existentially drained. been on the road for two years. Yeah. Yeah. I... I was actually like just having terrible insomnia last night as per usual. Let's be honest. I saw on Facebook. Yes. Yeah. I'm never a oh man. I've been, especially since like I, my knee started feeling better. I cannot sleep. I just like, it's like, I have, so, I feel like I need, I have so much to do and my brain just like will not slow down. I yeah. don't, 
I don't regret it because like it's I'm very creative during those hours a lot of the time. Do you know the John Cleese um, open and closed creativity conversation? No, please tell me. He says there's two modes of creativity. There's open, which is brainstorming. Nothing is wrong. Mm -hmm. And then in that space, you find the thing you want to experiment with. Then you close down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's similar to kind of how I just read Rick Rubin's book. And I feel like he's saying it's kind of a similar thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm like, a let's close as fast as possible on something. Yeah. That open and close thing is so interesting. I mean, yeah, I just read Rick Rubin's book, but yep. but last night I was kind of thinking like, yeah, I have like my close projects. I had like, I have like the cloud, the projects that I'm like, I need to be efficient on these. I know what I'm doing. And then I have the projects that are super open that I'm still kind of like trying to figure out what I'm doing. And it's an interesting thing as an individual to balance like, you know, several projects that are in various states of like open and closed. Yes. I, I'm sure you feel like that too. Big time. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. tell me about it? Yeah. So um, I feel like I get burned out when I close down too long, mm. but, mm. Clo but being closed is easier. Sure. I totally know what you mean. It's like, it's like that space between art and maybe like, maybe this is too binary, but like the space between art and like commerce or the space between art and like work. I don't know. There's something that's like kind of simpler about the stuff that you're just executing on, but like more tiring. Yeah, like it's not as fulfilling, and especially when you're not in a room with people, it's um, it's it can get very tedious. Well, and I know you and I have this in common, but I can get kind of lit up about like the admin stuff sometimes. Like sometimes that stuff, like the executing, can feel pretty creative, but it's you know it goes in and out. <laughs> like it's yeah, well, it's it, a hard it, thing to. Every single task has an element of open and close, so it, the right. admin stuff can be open too. And that's where it gets exciting, I think. That's where it gets exciting. Want to tell me yeah. more? Do you have other thoughts about that? Yeah. Um, I will say that opening requires like a certain amount of heart presence mm. and and safety. And that's just more work. Yeah. What does that feel like to you lately? Like the heart, like the heart presence, like what is your relationship mm. with that stuff? Like in this kind of iteration of your artistry that you're in. I want to say it feels like a rare gift that I give myself the permission and the space. Uh, I feel like mm -hmm. I am currently, I've been in like closed mode for so long on so many projects that mm -hmm. I open up just a lot, like oh, long enough to get an idea. And then I close back down and go do it. Mm -hmm. And instead of spending the time to like really open up yoga helps, but yeah. I just like go, go to like a, a numb place to like take yeah. myself away from the closed mode. And so that's, mm. it's been a lot of like consuming media, yeah, which is informative. Totally. And it gives me ideas that sometimes launch me into open, but. Yeah. Do you feel like you're like working on learning how to kind of stay in that open thing a little more? 
Like, I think, what, what did you say before? Like, it's a, it's a rare, you said something like it's a rare, it's a rare gift. Yeah. Gift. Yeah. Like, do you feel like, do you feel like you're working on trying to kind of make that gift like less rare? I mean, I'm totally projecting because I think that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Good question. I, I don't know what it means. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what it means. Um, I think my version of that is taking on a project that's so big. It forces me to stay open about a lot of things while I close down on some of them. Mm, that's just like a great strategy. I love it. It, like, it, it sucks though, because then you spend years. I hear you. I do. I really do. Without, like, without really being able to enjoy having released something. <laughs> I, I really get it. Well, that's why, I mean, I've been writing about this like on my blog and, but I've been thinking a lot lately about like micro content and like, you know, mm -hmm. kind of these like radical, like small acts of art that, that might be kind of more sustainable. Cause I totally hear you like these monumental projects give us a really satisfying playground for some of these things but there are pros and cons and I've been thinking like lately I keep trying to give myself this advice that's like you're a creative solve this problem creatively and like what if there were no like what if I only thought about that that parameter what if I didn't think about any anything else like how can I solve this creative problem and if I want to feel like lit up more often can I get it from like doing these like micro art things that are much more part of like an everyday existence but it, I'm at the very very tip of this like iceberg personally that's yeah. why I keep telling everybody I'm in like a research period like am I writing down like potential lyrics for a new album Am I thinking about color schemes? Am I thinking about metaphors? Absolutely I am. Of course I am. <laughs> but like, am I like sitting down and writing things right now? No. Mm. I'm just like, I'm just trying to like sit in things. I'm trying to like write stuff down. I'm trying to like be, you know, a journaler, not in a traditional sense, but just writing down more fragments of things than I maybe ever have before. Um, and just kind of pulling on that string and seeing where it goes. It's kind of scary, but it's what I've been trying lately. Yeah. I feel like for me, it isn't so much an issue of like knowing what small micro art I would make. Because mm. a lot of it, I have to do a lot of macabre promo and that is Yeah. We talked about that art. a little. That TikTok stuff is crazy micro art. Yeah, and I I did some micro art for the recent musicians union um, fiasco battle with the Here Lies Love Broadway situation. Yeah. You can dig um, into that whenever you want because I know that's something that's in the yeah. zeitgeist of your artistry right now. Yeah, I guess I'm saying right now after zeitgeist is redundant. Sure, <laughs> but we can go into it later or now or never. I have infinite cool. questions for you. Yeah. Were you saying something about your micro creativity? Yeah. Um, the problem is that I don't feel any deadlines on it in the same way I do on a larger scale project because the larger scale project, it's like, well, all of this has to get done. So I need to start doing some of it. Whereas the macro stuff, it's like, well, I could do that now or I could do that next week. doesn't matter. And 
that was the, the benefit of this um, Here Lies Love situation was I had some ideas and it was clear that I needed to get them out. Right. Because there's something timely. And I actually, I Ooh. missed, I missed a deadline in that I produced the best TikTok I could possibly make, uh, which is, yeah, David Byrne singing, me changing the lyrics, but with his video and replacing all the backgrounds with Here Lies Love stuff. Uh, I did that oh. literally like yeah an hour before they released the settlement. So I was oh. like, <clears throat> yeah, I was like, oh man, isn't so that gonna, it I'll, though? I'll, I'll release it later, but under different like, I'll, I'll introduce it differently now. Of like, I'm glad the situation was resolved. Here's some art I made during that time. Yeah, wow. I mean, that really makes me think like that's that's that kind of improvisational element, which, gosh. It's just another thing I think about so much, you know, I think we both have also this in common, which is we had an early love for jazz music and neither of us is like really in a jazz career. No, um, I certainly am not. And I, I only kind of very pretty recently have realized that I'm really okay with that and that I never really wanted those things but you know there's kind of cultural stuff that makes it sometimes a little pressury and tricky but but I think you know improvising is something that you and I have both been doing since we were children and we're still doing it all the time and there's something kind of mesmerizing and like intoxicating about the way that improvising happens in jazz music that is probably the reason that we are both interested in it um but you know it's just interesting to think like how can I be doing this same kind of heart and brain skill in a different modality? And like, you know, what does that mean? I don't know. Yeah. It all feels very, everything, you know, I was thinking, I wanted to talk to you because I always want to talk to you because you're one of my favorite people to talk to. And you have completed this work that we were talking about in our last interview and furthermore, like I just released episode 150 of this podcast and I'm kind of feeling like, you know, there are some really important people who I interviewed in the first few seasons of this podcast that I can't just like not talk to again. So, Fair. you know, starting to kind of like um, do sort of like second, you know, Drew Nichols returns episodes, um, just trying to kind of like follow the muse wherever she takes me. Yeah. It's nice because we don't have to start over at the whole like beginning. We can kind right. of pick up where we left off. And which we is, are. And it's, which that's is, what we're doing. Yeah. Which is, it's a, an insane amount of stuff has happened. Yes. In, in two years. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like there's so much that has changed that it's just like processing it out loud with another person is just like really valuable. And I'm, I'm really interested in like, how you're handling all of all of this stuff i feel like there was like something else i was gonna say but it doesn't matter i'll think of it later if it's important <laughs> but yeah but yeah i mean I, well i guess i guess i want to talk to you about um like macabre and what it feels like kind of being in a new chapter of that um i want to talk to you about just what your artistry feels like to you lately and kind of what you're wrestling with what you've discovered like just anything you're kind of lit up about, like, let's just, let's just talk about it. So cool. wh what is it? What, what do you want to get into? Uh, let us get into, you want to work chronologically backward or forward? Whatever you want. Well, that's a hard question. <laughs> it's your story. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, 
you know, like sometimes it's nice to have a, a sandbox, a limitation. Oh, yeah. No, no, totally. Well, I think if someone asked me this question, it would probably make more sense for me to go chronologically forward. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's helpful to kind of like understand the shape of the thing and then connect it back. So what feels more like efficient to you? All right. Let's go. Um, let's go broad overview. Okay. In quick succession starting in early 2021 where we left off. Okay. Um, at that time, I was living in Arizona, having just given up our New York apartment. Mm. Uh, Belen and I went out there and stayed with family, and it was really beautiful to get to spend time with my stepmom, whose cancer returned at that time. And um, we were like kind of losing our minds a little bit. We needed a car, so we bought a car. And Belen was starting to audition again for for a couple things. She landed a gig in Arkansas. So we decided we really wanted to spend some time with our friends in Maryland, where I'm actually right now. So we went and lived with them for a couple months. Um, during which time, like right when we got there, she booked the Hades Town tour. Wow. So then we planned to leave on the road. While this is all going on, I am mid process of the Macabre podcast for. Right. Context on the show, started writing in 2014. By 2017, we did a small reading in New York City, very informal. Uh, 2019, I rewritten the whole thing from scratch because people told me my protagonist was boring. <laughs> I wow. We did a concert. I want to talk to you more about how you handled that. Oh, I'm still handling it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, emotionally, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Okay. Um, put a pin in it. They put a pin in it. Uh, <laughs> 2020, we just, oh, we did a concert and then 2020, the industry shuts down. I look, I've already done 16 of the songs that are like roughly orchestrated. There's 30 of them. So it's ridiculous. But, um, I was like, this wouldn't be too hard to record this whole thing as a podcast. Yeah. A, fr a friend and I were already talking about doing a podcast musical, but that was kind of the writing was going slow. I was like, if we want to record people, we should do it now. So yeah. I, like spent a week adapting it, expanding it. Wow. And um, Ooh, that now feeling stresses me out sometimes. Yeah. Like this is the window. Don't miss it. Go. go. <laughs> yeah. And I was I like, this, gonna, this is going to take six months. I looked at, I was like, this is going to take six months. No. And well, <laughs> I, I like shifted towards more synthesis than live instruments. Okay. Yeah. Um, which was faster in some ways because I didn't have to orchestrate things as, as carefully. I didn't have to nail everything the first time. Mm. Um, but I did have, like, I got um, some drums to my friend, uh, some V drums to a drummer friend. He recorded all of, the, all of that as MIDI. So he then gave me the files. I was then able to use that very yeah. fluidly in the production process. Right. I eventually sent it out to read players, but we brought on actors, creatives, and Wow. It ended up taking like three years, yeah. of which I worked for probably more than two, like wow. full time. Wow. Um, it's fucking yeah, and nuts. the results, yeah, the result is like six episodes of really dense, rich comedy that for me achieves like most of what I set out to do originally. So I feel like I get to set it down creatively from that aspect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we, we finally released it in February, um, but... Uh, it has gone nowhere yet because I have not put any marketing effort in. I am speaking on a Broadway con panel in a, oh. a few weeks about audio musicals. So that should help. Yeah. Uh, I have flyers. I have plans for TikToks. I made one excellent TikTok, but, 
Um, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's just, it, you know, it takes me like four days for like to do the kind of TikTok I want to do. And I need to. I remember I was doing like, okay, I haven't watched your TikTok, so I don't know what they're like. I should. I just, I'm just not on TikTok anymore. Um, but uh, I was doing TikTok really hard for about a hundred days. I was working with like a PR firm, trying that for the first time. Um, like it didn't help. So what, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, my TikToks took so long. If you want, if, if you want to make something that feels like it does your project justice. Mm-hmm. It's just, and then it's like this entirely new skill set, which is kind of fun, but also kind of intense, kind of crazy. Yeah, and I'm I'm figuring out the skill set slower, and I'm also trying to like shift towards. Um, in my head, like everything has to be original in it. You know, like I have to do all the music, like yeah. everything has to be very curated, yeah. and it has to be designed so in, you know specifically. Right. And in the same world or something. Yeah, that's just not like what TikTok really does. Like TikTok right. is more of an engagement platform. And so right. I I think I figured out better some of that stuff. What what is it? What's what have you figured out? Well, the first thing is like you gotta sell yourself first. It's too scary. And you have to the, I mean the the intro has to be literally like if you are a person who likes this, then keep paying attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people, I think, miss their their intros on TikTok because you got to catch me sure. in five seconds or really less. Yeah. Um, Do you struggle with so, – this is such a leading question, and we'll get back, but we'll, we'll get, I'll yeah. connect you back to your big overview. But do you feel like you get stuck in, like, the visuals and the presentation of that first five seconds? Like, is my backdrop mm -hmm. sufficient? Is my hair sufficient? Like, do I look like the person who's giving information – to the audience that I know is the right audience, but like, do I need to like change something about, you know, this kind of essential thing in order to like signify that I am that? Um, I think the only thing that matters to me is simplicity and clarity for yeah. that purpose. Like you think I people just- People are capable of- Yeah, because when I, like, I, I spent a long time scrolling on TikTok more than I wanted to really, you know, mm -hmm. to figure some of this out, to watch my own mm -hmm. psychology. And what does it for me is literally like the first five words out of somebody's mouth. Mm -hmm. um, I wonder a little bit if it's different for women. I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe it's not. And maybe it, it like, I don't know. I do sometimes feel like there's some kind of a specific pressure for like female personalities on TikTok to be curated differently, but I don't know. That That is probable. Yeah. Yeah. Barf. Yep. Okay, let's go back to your overview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, we we released this thing. Meanwhile, I haven't released the album yet. Okay. Uh, I haven't submitted it for any awards because I'm just a mess. Um, I haven't. I feel it. Re redrafted the script because I expanded it way too much um, for stage. I have to go back and I have to trim it back down into the stage version and. While I do that, I want to take some pretty, not significant rewrites in terms of plot, but in terms of um, my protagonist arc. And that's what I was talking about with, you know, handling it. Um, yeah. The first version of her was very passive. Like, I don't want to get dragged into stuff. Yeah. And her sister was like, 
going to burn the place down, but like had to leave. And so it was the two of them trying to figure out how to work together to take this place down with these differing, yeah. you know, attitudes. So after the reading, I just basically flipped them and the one who's passive is also trying to leave. And the one who's active is trying to get her to stay and, you know, participate. Yeah. Um, but there's, this character is a little bit too one note once you get into the middle of the story where she kind of still maintains too much of her beliefs and she doesn't shift until the very end. And I want to see her challenged in the middle. And I realized that this period I went through last year, as I was like taking on more and more of the mixing work to um, help it go faster, as I was um, totally detached from any kind of physical stability because we were on this train of like one week stints as I was confronting some major industry issues and realizing that even the people who care about those things don't invest in changing the system. They, they are there to help people navigate the system Mm. and capitalize the best that we can given the current system, but they aren't out there raising hell burning the place down changing the system it's so hard yeah well it's it's uh it can't be done from inside like you have to be willing to sacrifice some success your in the immediacy in the system yeah you have to sacrifice your inclusion in the system to change the system yep and so there's that's challenging and so i i kind of went through this like very nihilist rebellious ex- experience where I, you know my core beliefs about the world about faith about uh, art about my own career. Um, you know, and I'm like about to turn 34. I'm like, Oh, what's happening? Like, why am I not making any money? Like, so glad my wife is making so much money on this tour. Yeah. Um, you know, and like I get my agents cut out of that, which is great because I, you know, helped her film and helped her negotiate, but so I, and I, and I, I, we do work on the tour quite a bit. I play rehearsal piano and I, yeah, they're consistently understaffed um, in terms of like really having all the support they need, particularly through a number of what I think is an order amount of turnover. Like they yeah, just have yeah. constant turnover. I know um, you're in the middle of like three thoughts, but can I ask a question about that? Yeah. Do you feel like, how do I, how do I, what do I want to say? Like, do you feel like it's like a capitalism problem? Like here you are doing like supporting Belen. She's doing awesome stuff. She's like, she's making money. You are involved, but like, you're not kind of being paid by like the things that are like deeply satisfying to you. Do you, do you ever feel like maybe the problem is like the whole kind of paradigm of like, I need to make money from like these like, do we think, do you think we're like policing like where our money needs to come from internally or something? Like- we do that. Yeah, I do that. But for me. What's the issue for you? The issue for me is that capitalists are bad at capitalism. Hell yeah. And, yeah. And you're so smart about that. The theater folks, like I, I, I see capitalism and I'm like, okay, like I, I get it. I think that we should have a mix of market economy 
you know, and a mix of safety net. And I think that collectives and like employee ownership so that people get more of the value of their actual labor. Mm -hmm. I think that stuff is really worth investing in. I don't think, um, well, that's, you know, that's a whole government theory, but let's just take capitalism in the system we currently have. Yeah. Um, let's say that the pharmaceutical industry approached their research and development like musical theater does. Yeah. Um, actors are the machines that produce existing recipes and they give feedback into that process, right? It's not like, it's not like they just are replicators. They're like, they are the constraints. They are the inspiration, but most actors are not in the ground floor development, nor are they included in the kind of creative ownership and, and, and decision-making. So if we want to look at who's actually making the thing that you see on stage, it's the, it's the writers and it's the directors and we don't invest in them in the same way we do in actors. We don't invest in finding them. We don't invest in supporting them early on. We don't have any kind of entry level stuff. There's tangentially, tangentially related fields. Um, my music department work is one of those, um, which has really informed my writing and I'm super grateful for it. But um, it would be like if the pharmaceutical industry went to people in college and said, hey, we are really looking for great new drugs. Can you develop great new drugs? And people were like, yes, hire me to develop great new drugs. Um, we're not going to hire you to do this. Like go to your your bedroom right? and somehow figure out how to do this mostly by yourself. We'll offer some training programs that are available Pretty, pretty like exclusively if you want to move to New York and pay that rent while also trying to do this. Right. It has a huge cost up front and a huge mm-hmm. risk. And we'll give you these tiny, really point. tiny, tiny production, um, you know, like kits, but nothing substantial. And go, you know, go sit in your bedroom and figure out a new drug. And then you're yeah. like, cool. So you develop a formula and like, I think this would be a great new drug. And you pitch it to them and they're like, wow, this is awesome. Cool. Come back to us when you have done some early trials. Crazy. And then you go do you go do early trials and you're like, yeah. come to this early trial for the most part of which like the results are going to be shredded as soon as it's over because it's a live performance. Yeah. And if you don't come, you don't get to see the results. Mm. And then they don't come. Uh. And then you're like, well, I did record it. And they're like, cool, this is great, but it's not for us at this time. And then like Years go by, right? And there's so many musicals like this. And and I have I have folks that tell me all the time, like, well, there's just not that many good new musicals. Yeah. And it's bullshit. Yeah. I have been to the musical theater factory, I have been to the pit, I have been to all these places that do readings of really great work in their infancy. And some of them are actually pretty far along. Some of them are just seeds of ideas that are already better than half the Broadway shows I've seen. So do those writers then find support? No, like I know these writers, they quit, they burn out and we lose them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, if you if you wanted to produce great, great commercial theater, you got to invest in the people at the, the bottom. And I have a whole like pitch for streaming, uh, a festival yeah. that um, I won't walk through now because it's a lot, but... I have presented this idea to a number of people in the industry and they always, this is what really got me down. They always find the problems with it. They always find the no. 
Yes. I have experienced similar things. Like there's so much here. I'm giving you so much and you're finding like this one thing, go ahead. But I, I yeah. understand that feeling. It's like, I don't, I don't care if this model as it is, doesn't work, but can we use this as a launch pad for yeah. can, some potential? Like, can this work mean something? Can we start to address the problem? And so what I realized is we almost need like a healing theater church where we that's Ooh, totally isn't it tricky that it comes back around like i've been experiencing a similar mm -hmm. thing recently too like kind of a spiritual awakening maybe in like a slightly different way than i ever have before like being like oh it's full circle like the the capital t truth is like something ephemeral or something i don't yeah. know yeah well it's like church is the only place um where theoretically if it's healthy enough you have space to talk about something without having to produce external results. Right. You can, you, like, the goal is to produce a result inside of yourself. Yeah. And so we need a place that is built to produce safety and, and ideas within ourselves that is still decentralized. And that's the big word I want for musical theater is, like, decentralized and um, democratized. Yeah. And yeah. I, I see ways we can do it. And TikTok is one of them. Yeah. But well, I we so hope that you where we are part of this revolution. Like I, I want it to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I've drafted like this whole community pitch of like creating one of these communities. And maybe, maybe I'll do it, but <laughs> we'll see if I have energy. I really relate to that. I mean, I'm doing other like, you know, enormous things for my like single body. Um, you know, our mediums are different. Like your medium is just, it requires so many people. It requires so much money. I mean, it yeah. requires just a lot. And by nature, Millions. like, and by nature, that's just different than, you know, kind of the independent art that I'm doing. But, you know, I'm also thinking about community a lot. Like I've been writing essays about community and thinking about like, what other options are there? It's like I said before, like you're a creative, create a solution and you're totally doing that. But even still, it's like, it's exhausting to do it alone. It's exhausting to not be paid for that time. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, cause I also have like streams of income that are reliable for me and that there are artful things about them. I'm grateful for them, but there is so much labor that I do that I never get paid for that I do think is important. And that is just yeah. a difficult thing to reconcile. Yeah, and I think that's why nonprofits exist, which is great. But in a capitalist industry, we shouldn't be relying on nonprofits to solve our problems. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. theater is primarily developed in nonprofit spaces, whether they be educational or nonprofit theaters. Broadway does very little of the actual development of new shows unless they are already attached to some kind of commercial IP. People are so willing to hitch themselves to, you know, a, a sick horse instead of like, like people just, they mm -hmm. prefer the thing that's familiar. It's, it's just, and even when you're working on a project like macabre, for example, I cut everybody into the profits oh. and not, not just the podcast, but I cut people into my stake of the show oh. it, it, forever. So as soon as I sell this to Netflix for a limited series or something, Netflix is a bad example. They're 
they're dying. They're they're killing their subscriber uh, base. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Apple. Let's go. Apple TV. Okay. <laughs> they um as soon as they, you know, say hey Drew, here's two million dollars for, you know, the full, thing. Boom. My people get paid an exorbitant amount of money. Cool. cool. Um. But they don't, but it's radical, but, and it's generous because I can afford to be, because I believe in a future where we take small dollars from many pockets rather than big dollars from a few. And I just really was, I found all of my collaborators on the project gave what they gave great performances, gave participated well. Right. But there was a, there was no sense of ownership from them in the terms of like this profit sharing agreement, which I thought would translate, would made very clear, like this is for us if we all succeed. Anyway, so I just found that there was like this vibe of like, I'm helping you out, Drew. And I'm like, no, that's not what I want. Like I'm specifically, I'm not paying you right now because I'll send a small advance. I'll give you a microphone, but um, yeah, I'm not paying you because we're all unemployed and this is a development project. Right. But like, I want this to be equitable. And even in that space, it felt like because none of us have been given a framework to imagine an equitable world, people weren't already yeah. excited about it. I know this feeling. And it's, I mean, maybe this isn't quite the same, but it's just where my mind is going. Like, I feel this resistance from people who I'm asking to like buy in without money, without really time, like people to just buy in emotionally, like just participate, like just, just feel something. Like I'm just inviting you to feel something and people can't even do that. It's like, there is something very scarce, like going on that I feel really puzzled by as an artist and like I want so badly to feel abundant in my own body and so I've been thinking a lot about like how can I do that and you know part of it's easier for me because I'm not in love with a medium that it requires so many people I gotta get out of it I I I keep trying and then I keep getting roped in by interesting ideas sure yeah I, (laughs) I, I empathize with that but I mean the way that I have done it is a little bit different from you which is like, oh God, I like, it's hard for me to even like say this because I have so many like feelings about it that I haven't picked apart. But like, gosh, like I think the way that I have, I have managed this type of a problem in my own life, in my own career is I have been following money since I was like 18 years old. I've been hoarding money. I've been saving money. I've been like hustling really hard because I have this sense that like, if I can pay for all of it and like it's on a totally different scale right so like this wouldn't be possible for you but for me like it's it's a strategy that kind of seems viable but it's not it is not sustainable like it is not sustainable for me Emily Merrill who works in a wedding band and I teach adjunct at a university like as whatever badass it is as it is for me to like hustle as hard as I can make those dollars in ways that feel as meaningful to me as they can be and then pay a producer $10,000 and then pay a videographer $5,000. And then, you know, I, I mean, I have spent so much money like making my art and it, it, and it, and then, you know, I, I spent like almost $50,000 on the hallowed wide all told. 
Um, which like, I'm proud of that. Like, I mean, I made enough money that over like I, an independent artist, I made enough money fucking hustling to spend about $50,000 on this project, which sounds like I have so much weird, like shame stuff about it. But then I'm, I, what I, I try to tell myself like, Oh, but like people spend $50,000 on a car, (laughs) you know, like I built this thing that is really meaningful. Mm -hmm. And, but even if I try to think that, and that helps a little bit, it's also just like, okay, but I spent $50,000 on this thing. I spent hundreds of hours on this thing. Mm -hmm. I gave my so much creative energy, so much emotional energy and like, people who live within an hour who say they love me didn't come to the release show you know it's like i i don't yeah like what is there to fucking do and that is not sustainable for me no and i i also i've had this experience too and it doesn't feel like um i can blame the folks for not showing up sure i feel the same way but, but uh, can even, I? Even, even my collaborators, Ugh, who, hurts. who I'm like, hey, here's a, here's a post. Can you share it like on your social media in yeah. a way that won't disappear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not just a story, but like a post. Your collaborators. And like very, yeah. Yeah, very, very little of that. And I'm like, okay. And it's, there's not really a solution. Ugh. The solution is people only get hyped about something in general. And when they know that it's hype worthy. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you handle that? (laughs) I don't, I mean, I just, I just, does it get in, does it get in your self worth? Well, it it just gives you postpartum depression where you're like, I, yeah, it does. I did this whole thing and I expected, I, I don't care about like, I care about the money later. Right. I care about making profits because we basically put three, four, five hundred thousand dollars of labor into this thing, right? All told, and um, a pretty significant amount of money too. I mean, not not fifty, but maybe fifteen. But the hundreds of hours of labor is is not nothing. And and if no. I if I add up the money and what my labor is probably worth, it's also way more. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's but crazy. The, the the money isn't worth it. What it even like getting future gigs that pay me money out from this thing isn't really exciting to me. It's exciting, but what excites me is community and building a community around having done something that impacts people. And so I get small responses from folks who have heard it and they're like, this is great. I'm like, thanks. And they comment on specific things and I'm like, this is wonderful. And to get to experience it sometimes with them in person is a delight. And I love that. And I would love also to have this lead to future gifts can you hear me yeah yeah okay future gigs um that bring me more community yeah that's lovely with people i want to work with right that that sounds great and i have hope for that still and i think that's but it's a slow build i think my family trauma makes this part really really hard for me and i think this is something that i am actively tackling really trying to look at right now for maybe the first time ever I have talked about this a lot but um 
I mean, I think the way that my trauma kind of manifested in, in my personality, like, or or the way my personality interfaced with the trauma as a child is I just had this deep, deep belief, like I can fix this. Like I can be enough. I can, I can convince my parents to love me. I can convince the church to be equitable. I can convince, you know, whatever, whatever. And like, I just have found such grief in any, um, outlooks that like depend on someone else's literally anything in order to like be sustainable. But then I believe so much in community. Like Andrew is always like, I think you think about family too much. And then I'm like, what else is there? Like, I just, that's the point, right? Like it's community. It's like, how do we kind of like build ourselves like a nest as these like tender little primates that we are? And that nest can be proximal, that nest can be digital, that can be blood related, it can be something else, but it's got to be something. And like, I cannot survive as like an island, but short of forcing, you know, someone else's like love of me and a uh, love of what I like, uh, feel called upon to do like that's just a dead end road and I don't I kind of don't know what to do about it you know it scares yeah. the living hell out of me yeah uh for me I feel like the answer is finding very specific people who I can actually trust yeah and it has nothing to do with people's qualities as human beings or their love of me. Um, I guess the reason that I feel like I can't blame anybody for not showing up is because I don't show up for people half the time. Yeah. Um, most of the time, like my bandwidth is pretty taxed pretty often. And I like, I remember listening to Howard wide in my car driving across the country yeah. as I am like to do. And I'm yeah. like making all these mental notes. I'm like, I have to tell Emily this. I have to tell Emily this. Oh my uh, gosh, that, that that synth sound, that that beat, that drum, like ooh that kick, ooh like I had all these thoughts of like ooh that lyric, you know. I had all these thoughts, and I'm like wanting to like give you the joy of of my experience sure. on it. And then like a month goes by, and I'm like, I oh, know. I have to, I have to go listen again because I didn't write it down. Oh uh, well, and, that's and, like, why I, like, I can remember when... the experience, but I can't convey it. I mean, I feel the same way. Like I, I did eventually listen to Macabre, but it took me so fucking long and I had to wait until I was on an airplane. It was the only time I could do it. Yeah. And then I was like, I, I have to send Drew these thoughts like in real time, which I couldn't have done if I was driving. Like, and I couldn't have done it if I was on the airplane with someone else. I think I would have been too distracted. Like it took, yeah. it took me being on an airplane alone and just sending you like, thoughts that are are completely uh they're not enough of what i want you know i want to be able right. to like give voice cues i want to be able to be like this melody and i couldn't do that on the plane but i just thought like this is what i can do this is the most whole wholehearted thing i'm capable of and so i i really <laughs> yeah. i really i really relate to that as well and it's not for a lack of love and it's not for a lack of i mean you know when you are saying something about like you know you try to 
try to find the collaborators that are like on that same wavelength and it, and maybe it isn't love. And, you know, I don't know, maybe we just have different words for these kinds of things. But I mean, I do feel that way about you, which is why like, you know, this, this relationship is important to me and like why I want to make time for this conversation. Cause like, it's the most wholehearted thing we can do. Yeah. It is. As you know, as limited as it, it could potentially feel to either of us, although it doesn't feel limited to me right now. This feels great. This is great. Uh, yeah. It would be, I mean, if there was a way of like queuing up all of the media we want to show each other, like without any effort and then just talking about it, that would be one thing. But that would also require way too much curation. So yeah, in our limited bandwidth, this is... I have really great. been... Uh, so these kind of, these kind of uh, micro arts... I'm also trying to do micro community. And to me, I think that feels like if I have a wholehearted feeling about a person, I just need to try to express it in real time somehow. And maybe I can kind of acknowledge like, I this is so inadequate of a, of a modality to like how I feel about this thing, either that you made or this thing that I'm watching that I just feel like you'll love, or just this thing that I'm listening to that made me think of you. But just trying to just like trying to send that text message that's like reading this book thought of you. I I don't know what else I could yeah. could do, but I really am trying to kind of like live in that space. That's the that's the that's the potential creative solution that I am really trying to like swim in radically right now. But like who the I fuck knows? Yeah, I feel like for me too, I've had a number of people, four or five that I send chunks of things to as, as they're finished. Um, and I have kind of learned who responds to what. And you're so curating gonna, to the person you're curating yeah, the audience, the audience. Yeah. If we're going with like, I need to talk about like synth stuff and how proud I am of this synth work. Like it yeah. goes to this specific friend. Yeah. If we're talking about some weird, like dark comedy thing, it goes to this friend. And so That's trying smart. to make it more of a one-on-one -on -one relationship that is built on um, pieces of the work that are relevant to them as opposed to just like thrusting this massive thing on yeah. somebody. That, that's, that's been helpful. Um, but it's also challenging because I, when you have one person for one thing or just two people, I recently had two of my friends starting new jobs or like working on huge projects and both of them disappeared at the same time for like a month. And I was working on a new project that I knew was good, but I needed to hear it from somebody else. And like they were gone. And I was like, ah, yeah, I was just going to ask, like, do you, do you feel like that, that outputting of community and that outputting of trust, like at some level does need to be reciprocated somehow? Like, do do you get feeling yeah. stuck stuck there? Uh, I can trust these folks to respond eventually. Yeah, they're just busy. So I don't have necessarily have to. Um, yeah, and there's there is a sense of like I know my work is good when I mm. when it's good. Mm. I think that's something that's been helpful is getting feedback from folks, learning to trust my instincts. Yeah. I've been thinking about that so much lately. I've been talking about it uh, last night, like Andrew, Andrew and I are in this like phase of like our like co-evolution together where we both are 
we're just like enjoying like a certain type of independence that's very like, hey, we're in the same home, but like he's in the garage doing some woodworking or like he's outside in the hot tub. I'm like high as balls, like writing things down upstairs. Like, I don't know. I got my like cannabis prescription, like really is like dear to me at this point in my like healing from my trauma and my PTSD. Um, But, uh, but yeah, I mean, like last night I called Andrew because I was upstairs, like I was writing, I was having all these thoughts. I was like feeling very like, oh, and it's, and the cannabis helps me like process that stuff in a way that like, without it I'm getting better like the way that I kind of think of it is like it it, I'm trying to rewire my brain um Mm -hmm. to be able to do that kind of thinking like without this medicine that's I mean that's a little like woo but that's like no that's that's how it sounds actually it's how I feel about it how I think how it works yeah I mean right I mean like I I gaslight myself about this sometimes because the like Mormon programming is so heavy Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I mean, really, it's like this unlocks a way of thinking that is healthier than anything I'm capable of in my, um, in my like fucked up nervous system, like raised mm-hmm. in like, you know, I have chronic PTSD, which affects my brain literally every moment of every day, you know? Yeah. And um, so anyway, I'm trying to kind of, I'm trying to get better at these thought processes, like without the medicine, but Last night I was doing some processing and I called Andrew on the phone and he was like in the backyard or something. And I was like, I need you to come upstairs and just like, I need to chat. Like I have so much to say. Like I just have like, I have so much just like talking that I need to do, which felt related to something you were saying, but like, who knows at this point? Love it. Sorry. It's, uh, Belen and I are actually going through something similar where she's training for a marathon. She does eight shows a week. Wow. Um, and she's one of the only people I see regularly because we're in a new hotel room every week or Airbnb. And I do see people from the show more now that I play more and more rehearsals. Um, and I'm better at talking on the phone with some friends sometimes, but yeah, pretty much she comes home and for a while there, it was like, I have to talk to somebody about stuff and it wasn't curated to her. I have, I'm feeling that as well. I have like much, I've gotten much better at finding the things that she her brain doesn't inherently just tune out and she struggles to pay attention to. Mm. Um, I let most of that go. So when we were doing the whole conversation with here lies love Broadway musicians union fight, I was doing a lot of writing about it and um, I didn't share it with her at all. I shared with her my little TikTok. I shared with her some, some memes I made, but they were like easily digestible and fun as opposed to like this big argument that I was making. And it was great. Yeah, that's she didn't awesome. need to see that. Those are high. Those are higher level skills. Those are higher uh, higher level skills that are operating out of some kind of abundance and not not a scarcity and not a yeah. I I really I really feel like I'm I'm working on this too, and I'm, I'm I am trying to trust my instincts. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. Like mm. I was telling Andrew last night that like I just feel like I'm on the cusp of like this new thing and like I don't know I, I I'm I'm very aware that it could kind of evaporate like at any moment like you know I like this I like this metaphor recently of like pulling on the string until you get to the end of it and sometimes it's miles long and sometimes it's six inches so you know whatever but the string that I feel like I'm pulling on with this stuff is like trusting the intuition period where I feel like maybe at other points in my life I've been great at trusting the intuition 
for making the art. And I have been very bad at trusting the intuition of talking about the art or mm. yeah, I've, I've been very scared of people. I've been very like kind of not trusting that people, um, I don't know. I've just been, I've just been scared. I think, I think there's been more fear than there needs to be. And, and something that I've been kind of cracking open recently is this kind of family bullshit and church stuff for, for me, that is, um, I think for many, many years, I've been trying to kind of have one foot in each door, <laughs> like mm -hmm. trying to kind of be like the artist that I want to be, but put it in a box that is very um, palatable, consumable. Yeah. Consumable for people. And I think I've just reached a point where like, I, I can't do that anymore. Like it's not the, I don't that into, I'm, I'm ignoring my intuition about it. Um, because I know that there will be fallout, like there will be some risks. Um, so yeah, it feels kind of like a brave new frontier, but also very like everything it's, and nothing. It's like shedding another layer of artifice. Yes. I mean, and, and this maybe yeah. brings us to what are you doing with that kind of flavor of stuff lately? So I think, um, I mentioned the nihilism briefly of, yeah. with this character I want to rewrite. Um, it's funny because I, I've been working on the album version this week. And then a couple of days ago in the shower, I was like, oh, interesting idea for a rewrite. And then I was watching a YouTube video yesterday about screenwriting and it like all clicked in. And I was like, all right, today's the day. Like I'm going to start de-chunking a bunch of the additions from the podcast, whether that be removing the narration and converting it back into stage directions or taking out some of the characterization that I had done that was purely to help us feel more connected to the characters um, because we couldn't do that visually or literal like like characters commenting on each other's clothes or something you know like was like trying to create this world um, so I've been taking that stuff out and I've been starting to like think about braving these sections of the script that are mm -hmm. that moment for me and it's interesting because I wrote the story of a young woman who realizes that there is shady stuff happening at this organization that she's very attached to. And when she tries to confront the problem, she's told, no, this is just the way it needs to be. It's, you know, you, you are wrong. Um, and she's told by a friend or her sister that she's like, well, when we get older, it will have changed by then. It, you know, it's getting better. Like we can fix it later. Or she's told by her grandma, well, yeah, this is an issue, but we need to address it procedurally. Um, there's all this like conversation about change making. And I didn't yeah. see my relationship with Mormonism in the script. Right. <laughs> and somehow by the end of the story, there she is casting off the entire essence of the organization to take away all of the constriction built around a natural process, which in this case was death. But in my it's case, it's spirituality. Yeah. yeah. I didn't see the metaphor until um, yeah. I was deconstructing hmm. church stuff. And I was Isn't like, Isn't art like that? <laughs> oh no. Anyway, but there was this step that I wasn't ready to take, which was like fully like deconstructing, the entire, my entire theory of consciousness. <laughs> Tell me everything. This is the spot uh, for it. This is where it goes. Right. That's too much. It's wait. It's 
Tell me whatever you want. All right. So a friend of mine gave me a book called God, Human, Animal, Machine. Okay. Sounds great. Is At it great? this point, it's fantastic. Okay. At I this point, I have already, I have already decided I no longer have any religious beliefs that I can cling to or identify with. I have no practices uh, that still remain for me. Um, the short story behind that is, of course, going into theater and finding people who, whose experiences are different than mine and realizing that I've been lied to about who they are and their worth. Wow, that's and then, so beautifully put. Um, it's just real. It's, really, it's true, but it's sometimes, sometimes, I mean, isn't this what we do as writers? We like condense the truth into like, and that's as, as tight a package as we can get it. Don't sell it short. Cause you did that. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lovely sentence. Yeah. Uh, um, I then found that I had been blaming myself for being bored for 10 years. That's so interesting. I've also been thinking about boredom recently. Please if, continue. Maybe if we can I get put back in more boredom. work yeah. into cultivating a spiritual atmosphere for myself. Wow. I was already doing that. Like I was already putting in the work, but maybe if I had done more. Really relate to that. Well, maybe if I had aspired to some kind of leadership in this organization whose leadership structure totally didn't jive with my sense of how I wanted to participate in the world. Wait, am I hearing this right? You're like, you're using your creative energy to try to find meaning in something that is just kind of. Well, yeah, at. so I, real, I realized that like every bit of beauty that lies inside of the faith of our youth yeah. comes from people's hearts and yeah. bringing it into the space. Couldn't agree more. And every bit of of stuff that was just supposed to happen naturally just wasn't happening naturally for me. Yeah. And it's hard to name it. It's hard to name it. Yeah. It's hard to see it and be like, oh, shit, that's that. Especially yeah. because I know we both still have many people that we care about that are still in the church. And the the way that I kind of put it to myself sometimes is like, I do believe that there is like, corruption and that this organization is like not benign that it does like a lot of active harm but because of that thing you said which is that the things that are good are the people i have to leave room for people to want to be people in those spaces and i can't try to yeah i can't want to police their relationship with that no it, it is tempting. i, it is I have a thought me. about that that i will share shortly okay but um, I know I keep taking you on tangents. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I'm going to continue chronologically. Okay, please do. Then I, I read the book, God, uh, Religion of a Different Color, The Mormon Struggle for Whiteness, what? which um, it, it, to give me a little book critique, great arguments, but the reading style of where he like presents the argument when you're not ready for it and then goes into it and then like presents it again, it just feels it gets redundant and complicated to me. And I felt pained reading it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. <laughs> but, but, so the disclaimer to anybody who goes in, like know that it's a, it's a bit of a slog, but <laughs> yeah. the, the actual research and the arguments are amazing. Cool. Um, presenting some of the ideas of where some of the racism came from and, and also 
a very sympathetic view to like the way in which Mormonism was racialized by folks who were trying to delegitimize it. Which when I was reading it, I was like, oh man, people are trying to delegitimize something that has legitimacy in some way. Okay. Yes. I hadn't fully, I hadn't fully, uh, I hadn't worked through any feelings of like the legitimacy of the church yet. I had just focused on my experience and it reached a point where in this conversation, I realized that like I was hanging on to this only out of fear. The fear that if I left, I would get sucked away and it would be the wrong path for me and I wouldn't have ears to hear God's voice anymore lead me back. And one day I realized, wait a minute, I've been taught that God is loving, powerful, kind, all-knowing, compassionate. What if I just need to create space for myself to make a different choice or at least consider a different choice and really examine my beliefs and trust that if my beliefs of my youth are true, that I will be shown the way and I can, I can trust my intuition. Yeah. And so I went on Reddit and six hours later I was like, Oh, there's a lot of stuff. Like I knew 90% of the dirt, but the extra 10% reframed the rest of it. And this is where I feel a sense of not, um, I'm trying to let go of obligation. I'm trying to let go of judgment but a sense of like desire for people who are within the church to at least have the agency to know what the, the true arguments against the solidity of the founding of the church are and know that they have research dating back to letters written by the founders themselves or diaries from the time period and that the narrative the narrative of the church has been very carefully constructed yeah and uh correlated as it as they as it were as it they describe it yeah um yeah and that in order for anyone to ethically make a a true choice about this they got to know the options and particularly for teenagers who are trying to decide if they're going to go to a church school, they're going to go on a mission, they're going to get married at 22 years old inside a religious organization to somebody who is possibly more attached to it than they are. There are so many issues that come from that manipulation of agency. And so I wish anybody who wants to continue participating, knowing all of that, the best. Yeah. But I have a deep issue with, with anyone who wants to limit that information. Yeah, me too. Yeah. That's well said. Amen. So what then, chronologically? So so this is going on, right? I go into this deep, like, who, who if that's who not the truth, what I? is? Yeah. I look at all kinds of other religious texts in, in a way, and I'm like, well, I've already been taught to, like, deconstruct, so uh, there's no hope for them. No. <laughs> I look at Eastern religion, it. and I'm like, these are great in practice, but, like, a lot of the community aspects of it become very cultish too. Yeah. And so I'm like, is there, what is it for me? So I read God, Human, Animal, Machine, where she goes through this cycle of talking about starting with Calvinism, like predestination and agency in terms of technology and um, philosophy and goes all the way through AI. It's really gorgeous. 
Wow. It's cyclical. It took took me on this whole loop, and I'm sitting there reading this in line for ride at Disneyland, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is a constructed reality. Yeah. In which the employees have limited sentience because there is only particular ways they're allowed to use their own sentience in this these interactions. Right? So it feels to me <laughs> like I'm in the Truman Show a little bit. Yeah. And I like spiral a little bit. And oh my gosh. Later, like I'm on a Disney cruise ship and I'm reading I started reading Howard Zinn's A History of the the people's history of the United States. And it's like literally the opening chapter is about like colonialism in the Caribbean. And I'm going to the Bahamas. And I'm like, Oh, I can't read this right now. I can't yeah. do it. Oh my gosh. So I'm confronting like every amount of, of um, institutional f- abuse and failure and frustration. Oh. And I don't, I don't know what's going on. So I think I want to carry that some of some of that into Macabre now. Where in the middle of the story, Amber wants things to change, but just gives up. And she gets to, her flame gets to be reignited by something more meaningful than duty. Wow. I'm so there. I'm so right there too. Like my therapist gave me this advice that I've been thinking about a lot and he might object to me like making this what I'm making it, but whatever, it's what's happening. So, but he told me, he said something to me like a year ago, I was talking about, I'm obsessed a little bit with like real, real reality versus like perceived reality. And like, you know, we could, we could, maybe nothing's really real. You know, it's just, it's all very, who knows, but it's all wavelengths. Yeah. But thinking about, you know, an objective reality versus a perceived reality as much as it's as much as one can even begin to kind of describe such a thing. And I'm I'm thinking, you know, maybe specifically in terms of a worldview or, you know, kind of in group, out group, like, you know, like I feel comfortable saying, you know, it's not real that I don't know, for example, this is like a, this is an ancient one to us now because the world changes so quickly, but that like, you know, hanging out with like your openly gay friend will like make you gay. Like that's not real. I mean, I think I can feel like that's objectively like not real. Um, but you know, certainly there have been people who would say that's real and, you know, without getting into like today's the, culture, we're still saying it now with, yeah. Yeah. They're still saying it with trans individuals. Exactly. Yes. So, so that's kind of what I, that's the type of stuff that I mean. That's like, you know, there probably, there, there is a reality here, but, um, and and it is fairly objective, but if enough people espouse a, a different reality, it's like almost powerful enough to kind of make it a little like, doesn't matter. <laughs> like, so yeah. anyway, I've been, I've been thinking about that kind of stuff a lot and, I think that type of idea burdens me personally in this kind of way of like one foot in each door. Like I've got one foot in each reality. I've got a, I've got a foot in a reality that feels more real and more solid to me. And then I've got a foot in a reality that keeps my life rooted to something that albeit like fucked up and kind of, you know, uh, gilded like it's a false a facade 
um, it does lend a very real stability. And I'm not talking about the church. I don't know exactly what I'm talking about, but my <laughs> therapist, I mean, that's, uh, that's yeah. as honest as I can be. Um, but my, my therapist said like, so I was telling him like, I just don't know. I want to be more of myself. I want to try to, I want to be healthier. I want to like recover like the most sparkly, vibrant, like uh, characteristics in myself. I want to like give them room to grow. I want to explore. I want to experiment. Um, but I'm worried that there could be unforeseen like structural pitfalls in this process. Yeah, no worries about that. You could also just let it ring. It's kind of kind of vintage. It's kind of giving me like a it's giving me like a vintage vibe. But anyway, the advice he gave me was well, you know, Emily, if you're trying to figure out where boundaries are, the only way to really know is to come up against them. And you don't like I don't think he said this, but the way that I've kind of taught myself is like you don't need to blow through a boundary. Like you can be mindful, you can be careful, but you won't mm. really know where a boundary is unless you kind of come up to it. You touch it, you kind of like push it a little. And that's kind of scary. It, it is a little risky. Hopefully we believe that the risks are low enough that they're worth kind of going, okay, there it was. Um, but I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, just in terms of like, what else is possible outside of these constructs that we live in? Because this deconstruction that you're talking about, I've been here too. Like you keep moving it to the next institution and you keep deconstructing each institution until you're like, what the fuck is left? Like, what is it? What are we? Like, are we part of the animal kingdom? Is there something different about like our, you know, the type of primate that we are. What about non-human persons? What does it mean to be a person? Like, what does it mean to be part of a society? Like for the betterment of a social, of the social creature that I am, what institutions are worth it to me to be part of? Like, it's just, it's all very yeah. boggly. Yeah, I relate. I think my approach to that is like rooted in it has to be rooted in joy it can no longer be rooted in any kind of obligation and that includes like humanitarian stuff which this is something i'm trying to sort through like what's my responsibility like having been raised to believe that we were sent here with a purpose and we agreed to be here creates a sense of obligation but if in fact i did not choose to be here I did not choose to take on the problems of the world. There is a certain amount of uh, uh, desire that I have, of course. I, like, I desire for the world to be better. I desire to address systemic inequalities. I, I desire to um, tackle the issues of privilege and of um, responsibility and like... Ethics. Helping ethics, right? And And... Not just like trying to be ethical myself, but trying to encourage the rest of the world around me to be ethical. But right. as soon as that becomes rooted in obligation, I shut down. Right. And so it has to come from desire. And that's and it has to come what from joy art, art is and imagination yeah. and possibility. Yeah. That's kind of I just read an essay about this that I published like last week, but I'm I'm I kinda of, I come to the same conclusion, which is like I can't be perfect, perfectly eth ethical. Like it doesn't exist. I think, you know, the good place did a great job of explaining why, like, uh -huh. I think that show is really, um, masterfully done in a way that it's joyful to consume, but that's 
pretty real. Could be a book. Yeah, that, that and thing he did also write me. a book. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, it get, definitely gives a framework for forgiving yourself for the ethical inequities that you are not capable of solving. And it doesn't mean that there aren't, it doesn't mean that no one person can like contribute. It's just like, maybe I can't, like there are ways that I can contribute to like these, these ethical, um, these ethical issues. Um, and they're not going to be the same as a, the way another person can. I mean, I am no. not going to do a doctors without borders. I just, I'm not cut out for that shit. Like I, 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 I faint yeah. when I see blood. Like I, I, I can't be sustainable in that role. And there are other, like, I, I can't run for politics. Like I have too much, I have too much trauma to do that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So, you know, what can I do? And I try to just, I'm trying really hard to do, to do that. Yeah, and we have we have different kinds of resources, right? In addition including, to including our personality, yeah, yeah, and um, amen. I can I can feel a sense of um, opportunity when I think about writing. Yeah, that's different writing than the, the other kind of yeah the other kind of opportunity that I feel. So I'm, I'm trying to do that. I just read this book, Your Brain on Art, that mm. helped help me feel justified in this path. It helped me feel kind of bolstered and like hey this is a this is a viable path to be on because art is humanity and storytelling and you know feeling literal vibrations and you know visual aesthetic awareness these things are they are public health they are public mental health yeah. they are uh empathy they are you know, the, these things are tools that can move the world in incredible ways and that do, and that always have, and that always will. I mean, you know, sans like some truly apocalyptic thing, but no, they still would. They still would. That's what, mm -hmm. uh, the show station 11 is about. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's gorgeous. But, but yeah, Br I mean, Brene Brown on her recent Atlas of the heart special basically yes. talks about art as a research and development that predated any kind of our psychology studies. Right. I'm so into her for that type of stuff. Like I really respect the way that she is an artist in the social sciences because mm -hmm. she is a, is a superb storyteller and the kind of, the kind of, Hey, you know, if you feel inclined to pitch in, pitch in. And for people, you know, one thing I was just thinking about this morning is like, I don't have children. And that's also something that I've frequently felt. It's one of those one foot in the door kinds of things mm. that sometimes burdens me. Um, and recently I've just been realizing how much shame I feel talking about not having children and how much I like not having children mm -hmm. um, and talking about how purposeful I feel about being childless. And for me, mm. that is really, that feels really right. And I feel really purposeful about being childless. I'm not just childless on purpose. I'm like purposefully childless. And that's because I'm interested in working in spaces that are a different shape. And if someone, if someone's interest mm. in their passion takes them to putting the vast majority of their personal and creative resources into parenting, I say, go for it. Like if the vast, you know, if the vast majority of what you're going to affect is these two people that you're raising fucking fine. You know, like that's not, that's not less yeah. than that's not less than what I'm doing. And what I'm doing isn't, isn't, isn't more. It's just, it's just where I 
want to be because of this joy thing that you're talking about. Like I will, I would burn out as a mother. And I know that I don't think I would be a bad mom, but I wouldn't feel lit up. Like I do not being a parent and having that bandwidth, having that freedom. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like for me, my feelings there have turned less. That's an ongoing conversation. Of course, who knows? Kids know who, I don't know. We'll see. But, um, I hear you. Who knows? But it feels to me like I get resentment more than shame now. Mm. There was shame. What, what kind of resentment do you get? And that was a resentment about having been promised a society that allows people to have children. Yeah. Sure. And a society. This is, this is my resentment towards the theater industry. It's like, it's not that we were promised jobs, but we were promised that if we did good work, we would likely have jobs. Right. And I, I don't speak for myself just selfishly like, oh, well, I don't get the work, so I'm sad. It's like, no, I see writers everywhere and all kinds of people doing great work, while a lot of work that does get done has not been carefully curated. And so it's like this disparate uh, sense of like, well, if the system worked, then more of us could have kids and write. Right. I feel that. I do. Could do both. Um, And I think that's been kind of my goal is um, the, the the financial pressure I do feel is to give us the option that is to like remove the financial constraints by achieving success in art so that then the choice becomes about the, the choice where we want to live itself. Yeah. Kids themselves. Right. It becomes not a, a, a balance of scales of like what's more important. Right. But I think inevitably it is going to be a balance of what's more important in some regard always. And um, yeah. I don't always know that I'm making the best choice. And I, I really struggle with like quote unquote productivity. And some of that is um, having patience with myself as I drive across the country all over the place. Yeah. Some of that's like ADD that I'm still resisting medicating, yeah. trying supplements and stuff. Um, yeah. Some of that is just, yeah, like trying to establish healthy habits that keep me sane with yoga, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and some of that's just like the kind of work I want to do takes a long time. And right. There's not a system built to push it. You know, like I even sent the macabre press release to the three major publications digitally that go out to all the theater lovers, and none of them responded to my press release. And I was like, I've got Broadway names on this. I've got, uh, like, no one has done any. This is the most elaborate podcast that anyone has ever produced. Yeah, I believe you. I mean, I felt that listening to it, like, this is almost an overwhelming amount of creativity. Like, I mean, I probably felt some of that because I'm listening from an empathetic space as a creative um, and not just as a consumer, but just feeling like I, I felt, I felt like that kind of underpinning of stress. <laughs> like, about, like, what does this all mean? Like listening. Yeah. Cause it's, it just is, I don't know. It's really it's like complicated. At any given time, there are six to 40 different audio layers happening yeah. for three and a half hours that yeah. were all very 
con- time consuming to construct. Yeah, yeah. Right. So it's, um, I just don't know of any other podcasts or even radio dramas that have really attempted that kind of work from an Bad indie ass. perspective, particularly. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It's Thank an incredible, you. it's an incredible feat. And I mean, I feel like this, I was started to kind of say earlier, but this podcast has become a really interesting medium for me in and of itself and a, and a research pool um, because I interview all kinds of artists, um, artists who are part of big institutions, artists who are fiercely independent and they're in mediums where they can be um, fiercely independent. And, you know, just all varying levels of, of um, structure and purpose and ethics and whatever. Um, and there are so many odd similarities in what we are dealing with that I feel just, I don't know, I feel like I'm a person, like, here's what I want to say. You have made the most extensive podcast of this type that exists. Like, I, I believe that. Like, I mean, it's very, it's possible that there's like a, someone else and you haven't heard of their thing for the same reasons they haven't heard of your thing, but probably yours is, is the most extensive one. I'm conducting, I've conducted nearly 200 interviews, in-depth interviews with artists. That's also something that probably no one else is doing, you know, and all of us, like so many of the people that I talk to, I'm like, they can make a documentary about you. They can make a documentary about this, you know, whatever the capital they, Mm -hmm. um, but like a book could be written about this and it would be fucking interesting. And there's something just, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but there is something kind of about that, like this simmering energy that's just under the surface that is kind of what like artifice sort of means to me right now. Like how do we access, mm. I don't know, what do we do about that? But it, it is something that this experience of this podcast has given me a, a, a perspective that feels pretty, cause like I'm having this conversation with you and I'm totally like emotionally overwhelmed by the idea of all this work you've done and it's so incredible (laughs) but I feel this way about so many of the people that I talk to and then it's just like oh what is it all what do we do with it it's crazy yeah for me it's like what do we do with it and how do we make work like this possible and sustainable Sustainable. for us and other people because it really is meaningful um but we have no I couldn't have done it without the pandemic and I can't do it again. Yeah, I feel the same way with about the Hallowed Wide. Like, and, you know, I built that songwriting class during the pandemic. And I did a whole lot of work during the pandemic that I, I will never have time to do again in the same way. Yeah. I mean, I can make time for things, but I'll have to sacrifice things in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. And I've, been, I've been hugely, hugely blessed that Belen has been so supportive and that she has taken me around the country with her. And allowed me to work on this continually from um, the hotel rooms. Um, I keep reminding myself, even in challenging weeks where I don't have as much time to work on things because I'm either playing rehearsals for them or driving a lot and recovering from driving and losing a bit of sanity over it all. I remind myself that like I got 20 to 30 hours more work on this stuff done than I would have. It wasn't 40 to 50 like I... Could dream do. of doing yeah, yeah, yeah. like healthy weeks well i don't know if they're healthy weeks 
hyper-focus weeks, yeah, yeah. Mm. I can put in 60, 70 hours of work on this stuff like crazy yeah. and really love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get that. The binge, the binge is strong. Yeah. Yeah. But then I, you know, but I go through, through long periods of burnout where for three weeks I'm like a potato. Yeah, I have been trying to have grace for myself for that lately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when we were talking before about micro content, I was going to say like, or micro art, like in terms of deadlines, like for me, I think this is one reason why I'm so entranced by food because food goes bad. You know, there is a deadline there. Mm. Like if I buy ingredients, it's like, it's I need to do. Yeah. So I try to think about things like that, where like there is kind of, it's a low stakes deadline, but like I bought all of these beets um, because I have this, I, I want to make beet chips. Like I want to, I want to try to make yeah. dehydrated chips. Um, and I might not do it. Like I might not have time. My, my, I fully intend to do it. I might not do it before they go bad, but it's six beats. Yeah. And if they go bad, then you're like, well, I'm off the hook. Yeah. I mean, no, I wouldn't. I mean, I would past me would feel really guilty about that and be like, I can never buy beats again because right. I don't yeah. make the chips, you know, but, but I've been trying to have a little bit more grace for like, there will be other beats. Yeah. I can compost no. these and it's okay. And the food chain supply is unethical and there are people starving, but like this intention was pure and the risk is ultimately pretty low. Yeah. I, I think I do want higher stakes deadlines for myself. And that's where I think commercial art is so interesting because, or just even real time collaborations where the thing is happening. You have to show up because you right. said you'd show up. Right. And right. whatever you do there is what you're going to do. Right. And it's, it's exciting. And I, I think I'm, I'm tired of all the last minuteness of theater, but there's still an excitingness to it. Um, mm -hmm. I last week got a call on Tuesday night in the middle of the show that said, Hey, some rehearsal plans changed for tomorrow and we need another pianist around. Could you play the put in rehearsal, which is the rehearsal on the stage with the lighting, with the microphones, with the, the, the cast to do a, a put in for two actors in this case to do basically the whole show as, as if it were real. Yeah. Um, I've never done a full run of the show before. I've done wow. lots of rehearsals of major chunks of it. Wow. Um, but I'd also never done it with the actual click track where I cue it and I have to conduct the actors and the drummer is there and I'm cueing the drummer and you playing have to with cue the drummer. Everybody. Yeah. That's crazy. You're MDing and playing piano. That's yeah, nuts. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty low key for Hadestown because a lot of it is built into the click or just the cast doesn't need a lot from the conductor. It's only in specific okay. moments, but uh, there I am at night. Managing nine. the technology sounds kind of stressful. High stakes. Yeah, a little, a little, but because Hadestown's piano is literally just piano sound the whole time and I'm playing rehearsal anyway, so I'm not even switching to the accordion, literally hitting go is not a problem. Um, I hadn't done a lot of it, but because I have so much keyboard playing experience yeah. with hitting pedals and all kinds of stuff. You're it's, prepared. I was prepared. So I'm sitting there at 9 p.m. at night and I'm like, great, let's pull the score out. And I'm transferring all my notes from the conductor score into the rehearsal book. It's been like four hours prepping. I show up, I do it. No one dies. It's great. Um, really fulfilling. One of the most like thrilling 
artistic experiences of my life that I got wow. to do that show that I've seen now 20 something times wow. with a brilliant drummer hearing that beautiful click in my ear, giving me so much reassurance when I'm synced with it. Um, enjoying the cast. Blend was doing Eurydice. It was just mm -hmm. a lovely time. And yeah, yeah I, I do I deeply miss that. And I wish that, um, I'm not super motivated to like invest all my chips down into just music directing because it uses only a certain subset of my skills. Mm -hmm. And I have friends that do it really, really, really well in a way that yeah. I write really, really well. Right, right, right. <laughs> so yeah, it's just carving out a new path. And I think this is the whole like alternative reality kind of thing where it's like you get to choose which realities you accept as hard and fast. Yeah. And there are rules and there are exceptions to the rules and the exceptions yeah. to the rules are rules unto themselves. Mm. Mm -hmm. So if you focus mm. on making yourself an exception to the rules that you don't like that are still ethical, you know? Yeah. 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 In, in a way that's still ethical. Yeah. Um, I think that quest has a lot of merit and it requires constructing an alternative reality from the one you're being presented. Yeah. It's like you have to, you have to construct a bespoke reality. That's yeah. kind of where I'm at lately. Like, I think we all just have kind of have to try to construct a bespoke reality that is ethical, that is as aware of other people as it possibly can be. But ultimately, like, all you can do is be the the Drewest Drew that you can be. That's like, yeah. that's all you can do. And only you know, like, the rules of that. And so you have to, you have kind of no other choice than to, like, parse the world through that filter that is your bespoke these are my boundaries these are this is how my I will exercise my agency this is how I will exercise my time this is how I will spend my money this is how I will you know use the influence that I have um yeah it's when we look at stuff. some of the so much of the exploitation happening everywhere yeah and it always it always follows some like I think psychological rules that are true yeah and I think we also need to be willing to construct a reality in which we look at those marionette strings mm. and get willing to pull them ourselves in an ethical way on behalf of ourselves and others so for example Amen. Um, social media is built entirely on the human fundamental trait of vanity. And the way you get people to engage with content is when they see themselves in it, when they can interact, when they can assert their opinion, when their views are centered, when they learn something, right? And it can't be something that they didn't want to learn. Yeah, right. It, it has to somehow reinforce like this the confirmation bias and all that. Like we it has to speak that language to some it has extent. To, it has like, that's, it's how stuff spreads. So how can you use that yeah. to do something good? I think this might be what I'm writing about now. Like these overlappy sections where like we get this kind of Venn diagram of yours and mine or this and that or us and them in a way that, 
is interesting. Like that's maybe about as much as I know what it is that I'm kind of working on now. Like I have some other ideas, but I think that might be like what I'm sure about. Cause yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like it's, it's in these, like it's in these overlapping ephemeral things where like maybe we can move the needle. Yeah. Who knows? And I've also been taught that like I need to be balanced and fair. Right. And letting go of some of that too. Yeah, me too. And that here lies love conversation. Be a little more wild. Yeah, I wrote this like 3,000 word novel on analyzing the contracts of the bargaining clause between the union and producers. Love that your brain does these things. (sighs) I hate it. But... (laughs) Like that's how many words it took to express what I thought was the totality of the situation to yeah. help people who were grappling with it. And I sent this to union leaders. I didn't hear back from most of them, but one of them responded. And he was like, I don't know if this is helpful to the conversation. And I was like, okay. So I thought about it. I was like, oh, what he's saying is, saying he said it could be potentially damaging to the negotiations. I was like, I see. So it's, it's not spun enough. So I re-looked at it and I was like, okay, what's my goal here? I was like, oh, my goal is to help the conversation be more civil, but also really present the case of the union and not highlight the areas in which the union's case might be weak. Yeah. Even though it, it is then less balanced. But when I, when I tackled that, I wrote something much shorter, much quippier, much more activist. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, people, it really resonated with people because it, it said something they wanted to hear. But where's the obligation of like presenting the other side? And it's like, well, yeah, where's the truth? Yeah. And so I looked at it and I was like, well, I'm going to present, I'm going to present the other side in a sympathetic light of like, I can understand why they want it to mean this thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I present their argument in a way that says, I get why you want this. Right. But here's why we don't agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't, have, really, I, I don't have to argue their point. I've been really respecting lately journalists who are doing similar things, like really, really top-notch podcasting, like on the culture wars, like on mm-hmm. politics, on these kind of big, you know, and the ways in which like there is a point of view, but it is presented like as creatively as possible. Like it is presented in 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 a way that if you come to it open hearted you're going to learn something it might not change your mind but no matter what no matter where you began if you engage with the work if you choose to engage with the work you will learn you will learn something and your perspective will update like it will be more nuanced um and it's just i think it's a really brave thing to do um because uh, there is not plausible deniability when you pick a side um, yeah. and you are fallible and there's some, there's some, there's, com- you there's could be com- wrong. There's comfort in the capital T truth that yeah. I think, you know, growing up Mormon, we probably feel a certain way about that too. And the, the capital T truth just, it doesn't quite exist. Like there are things that are facts, but facts are nothing without their context. And the context is objective at some level. It, it always will be. Which is just, yeah. I don't know. It's 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 a uh, it's brave, 
and risky and creative to take a position, I think. Yeah. And I, and I, I want to make sure that my position is as well argued and that I express the desire to update my position of as course. more information comes in. I definitely want um, those caveats in there too. <laughs> we, we talk about like creating space for everybody's opinions and that can be dangerous. Right. Right. Not all and opinions I, are created equal. And that's just also a fact. Yeah. Sometimes they come from um, a place of malice and yeah, I think I'm starting to tackle some of this in my work. I'm starting to tackle just as much of like presenting the process of how we arrive at conclusions rather than just arguing a conclusion. Um, yeah. I, I wrote a whole play about my departure from Mormonism. Um, I don't know if I shared it with you, but I it's, don't think you did. I don't think from, you, I mean, if you did, I missed uh, it. And I'm sorry. It's good. Uh, it's from the perspective of a 17 year old girl trying to decide if she's going to go to the church school, if she's trying to yeah. make these decisions and she encounters questions and doubts and she interacts with a fictional version of Joseph Smith in her head of like yeah. negotiating all these, these conversations. And I thought about it for a long time. I was like, do I want to present like all of the murky apologetics, the yeah. ways that people try and explain these things away? Right. And I realized like, that's not my obligation. My obligation mm -hmm. is to present what the, the variables were that led me to my conclusion. Right. And right. that included the, the murky apologetics, but because I found them so um, useless to myself, I was like, yeah. I don't have to, I don't have to keep them in. It's hard though. It's hard. It's hard to, yeah. it's hard. I find it difficult, like thinking a lot about ethics to, to make those decisions. And when I make those decisions, I'm learning to trust that intuition. Um, but acknowledging that there there is a risk and I'm fully prepared to realize that I was wrong and that I need to update some things. And, and that's also just, I don't know, it's kind of a thrill, <laughs> something. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've been talking for like almost an hour and a half. Indeed. Um, is there anything else we haven't talked about that you want to make sure we get to? No, I think that's uh that's most of the stuff that's been on my brain. I did want to ask you like just a question that kind of has come up in my mind a few times and I don't know how interesting it is but um I'm I just am curious like as your friend like how how are you seeing yourself right now? Like if you had to like if you had to write like a a character analysis of yourself like mm. how how are you how are you constructing a narrative of like who you are in this, in this period. Did you see the movie everything everywhere all at once? Sure did. So a friend of mine pointed out after already that movie was already my new favorite. It's supplanted Jojo rabbit only by a hair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and pun intended. Uh, ha, 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 hey. <laughs> or something. Uh, 
my friend, when she was deconstructing, she was looking for new spirituality and she was reading a lot and went to this place of like the infinite self in within each of us is God. And I had no context for what that meant. It didn't make any sense to me. I was like, I don't get it. Yeah. And then she pointed out after I saw that movie, she's like, that's what I'm talking about. That like infinite you, the one that is across all multiverse, that -hmm. is the most you and the most like, uh, most also other people because we are all connected. Yeah. um, By these wavelengths. That is God, like the connective energy throughout. And it is only by turning within that you can find deep connection to other people. Yeah, right. I was like, that's really interesting. So I feel like on the course of that movie, um, there's a part of me that's kind of been Waymond. What, what what word is this that you're saying? Waymond. He's the he's the husband. Oh, okay. Listen, I only watched the movie once because mom issues. I just Oof. I really liked it, Oof. but it just it just hit me like a little different. Yep. Yeah. So he puts googly on eyes on everything. He's likes to take right. the silly approach. I have found myself in him and wanting to be more like that side of myself, but burdened down and feeling like I couldn't. And so seeing her Evelyn embrace that side is great but there's this period of nihilism she has to go through to get there and i feel like i am somewhere on the spectrum of having emerged from nihilism having decided that i can embrace different realities while looking toward a fully fighting for good with joy perspective um i feel a little bit like untethered from community in a way that I think doesn't allow me to be fully joyful and fully empowered. And so I'm really looking forward to, uh, Belen is, is looking at, um, she, her contract is up and probably not going to renew soon, uh, in October. So we're probably going to settle down and I'll be able to kind of re-excavate some things and Mm -hmm. move forward until then. I'm just kind of trying to chug along. Yeah. Do you feel like yeah. tempted to like orient yourself in, in anyone else's reality and including like institutions of power? Like, do you ever kind of, do you ever kind of look at the reality like from another perspective and, and does that like ever get on you or are you pretty, you able to stay pretty focused on this goal? There's no institution that offers me the a kind of reality that I want. But that's like, that's so, that's That's depressing. No, I was going to say it's like, it's incredible. Like, I mean, it's really like, it's very just, it's very wholesome. I think, I mean, it's, it's upsetting, but it's like, (laughs) it's so disappointing. I just want adult supervision. (laughs) I hear you. There is something so brave about saying just like these institutions aren't giving me what I want. Like period. Like I, I think I can, I can get a sense of inadequacy and a sense of, of a question of, is this my fault? Like, is there something wrong with me? Is this, is this lack of a tether or this, um, you know, whatever, some lack, some scarcity, is this like 
my punishment for like being trying to be as true and honest as I can. I I think that's something I'm still like genuinely like I'm trying to keep an eye on it, but I'm, I think I'm wondering if, I think I was wondering if you have any strategies for that, but it sounds like your strategy is just like, I don't need to think about what this institution says about me because it's not offering me something. No, I, I've, I have started re-examining institutions from the perspective of, can they offer me access to things that I want? Mm -hmm. Can they offer me insight to things that I want? Can they offer me tools? Um, And then starting to re-engage with them and really like trying to present my argument to them as to why I am useful to them Mm. without... Mm -hmm without changing it is what it is I want to do. Yeah. I think and that's, that's a piece I'm working on too. They, that last thing. Yeah. All the systems look for the smoothest path, right? Like water falling down the, the mountain. Like the least and resistance, we, yeah. We the least resistance. Thank you. We as artists inevitably present resistance. Yeah. Um, Every artist that has anything to say presents resistance. And just our individuality is resistance because they don't know what to do with us as an individual. So if we fit some kind of pre-existing mold, it's a little easier for them to say, oh, I see where the path is. It's already paved. Great. Let's just send down that path. But then you see artists that start to get put down someone else's path and then they have to break out and it causes, you know, it it only works if they already have enough of a fan base and to, to build a new system. Right. So I think our goal is to help other people see us as, as little work as like the most minimum viable product possible. How, like how can they put very little effort into us and get big results? Yeah. And that usually puts a lot of work on us to do a lot of the, imagination work and the demonstration work for them yeah luckily we we can we know how to and that's i mean that's what what we do it'd just be a lot easier if we had their resources earlier yeah 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 and we have a lot of people burning out that that don't have the resources right that is that the, the, the loss the loss of that human energy does that's a problem to solve. Mm-hmm. Um, my last question, I think, is uh, how did you become a person who is such a philosopher? Uh, that's a good question. What's the story of that part of yourself? Um, my mom and I talked late every, every night for a long time. And there was a lot of analysis. And I always know... I've always kind of known what I wanted and known that it was reasonable yeah. and seen that other people didn't think it was reasonable. And so I had to create a reality for them in which it became reasonable. World building in meta. Yeah. yeah. Storytelling. Yeah. So yeah. I'm tired of that, yeah. Yeah. but here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so what's your answer to how did you become a person who's a philosopher? Uh, again. <laughs> let me, let me, let me truncate it. 
the only way to get people to see the way I see it is to use analogy and I am learning simpler words. And that connects back to this ethics because if God is this connected thing and the best way to access it is through yourself, then you have to find a means to explain the language of yourself to another person. Yeah. And that's kind of what philosophy is. Yeah. And we try to, I think religion a lot tries to create shortcuts for communities to establish those relationships. And it does expedite certain communal aspects. It benefits the community. It creates less resistance within the community to achieving specific ends but it traps individuals. Right, 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 right. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Well, if there's nothing else, yeah, I know, I know. I, I while still trying to maintain standing in the community, it's impossible. It's impossible. (laughs) I mean, it's literally impossible, which is why I I couldn't do it anymore. Couldn't try to do it anymore. Well, unless there's anything else you want to talk about or ask me, we'll move on to the final two little bookend questions. I I have a question for you. Okay. If you were to focus on bite-sized content, Mm. what would the vibe be? Whimsy, I think. Like, I'm really interested lately in just like abundant, like verdant, um, magical like just I just think that's where it's at for me in some and even in the deep philosophy and ethics like I want it to just feel like yeah like joy and like like a like a version of joy that is just primal like and pure and natural so I don't know I'm really moved by like nature lately um, I've been reading a lot of books on like evolution and, you know, I've been just been thinking a lot about the kind of ecosystem in, in as many kind of ways as I can think about that. I've been thinking about the things that make us um, uniquely human, which are art and play. I mean, other animals play, but the way that humans play is a little special. Um yeah, myth, mythology, um, myth, mythology, art. Yeah. I have I have additional questions. Okay. Part part of me just wants to see this. I accept. But I'm trying to imagine. Yeah. I'm wondering what role like surprise plays or what role like audience play mm. takes a role. It's a great question, and I. I was up thinking about this last night until 4 a.m. because it's really something I'm trying to crack. Um, I'm really trying to do my best. So audience and what was the other one? Surprise. Surprise. Okay, I feel different about these things maybe. But for the audience question, I think I'm really, really trying not to think about the audience when I make things. I'm trying to only listen to myself. I'm trying to only listen to that inspiration that intuition, my joy, my insight, you know, whatever I feel 
like whatever that thing is, that feeling, that like passion, the movement, the inspiration, I'm trying to like radically only listen to that. But then to try to as lovingly and creatively as I possibly can give these things to anyone who they are for. And in terms of surprise, I mean, surprises are... That's just finding your tribe. Yeah, I think, and it scares me because I think deep down I worry I don't have one, you know? I mean, the, the, the thing my parents told me is that I was difficult to love and no one would ever love me. I mean, that's what they both told me. My, it was literally the last thing my mom said to me before she died, which I still feel like isn't even like I would question the reality of that if Andrew hadn't been in the room and couldn't say that's fucking what happened. Um, and I think those mythologies are they're they're baked in me pretty hard. Yeah. And so I think I think there's a there's a very, very deep fear that that tribe like just doesn't exist. And that the the mirror that I be <laughs> like the smaller the tribe will be. But I'm really trying to like not let that fear lead anymore. I'm trying to like give the world and give my friends and give people an opportunity to tell me like, hey, I am I am your tribe in this way, in this in like in I'm in your synthesizer tribe and I'm in your, you know, whatever. Um because I I do trust that. Like I I trust it in this kind of it's faith, you know, like I have. I have faith in that concept, yeah. um, but I don't like know it. I haven't experienced it. Like, and and it's it's my fault, you know. Like a, a big part of the reason I haven't experienced it is because I've never been really open. Like I've I've always had fear. I've always I've always been trying to take extra steps to make myself more lovable um, because of that deep fear. And so I don't know. I'm engaging with it in a way that I haven't before, but it is like. It's scary. Yeah. And surprise is just um, what's better than a surprise. You know, a well-constructed story that you don't know the end to, like discovering delights along the way. I'm really trying to be, I'm trying to macro, micro this as well. Like micro surprise, macro surprise. Like the the micro surprise is like, will I make beet chips today? you know, and then maybe that's something I could share. That's like a little adventure. And then the macro surprise is like, you know, a new album or a book, you know, or whatever big macro thing I decide to do next, which you and I are cut from the same cloth in this kind of way, which is, you know, we macro. So frustrating. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm trying to, Uh. I'm trying to make my micros part of the macro in a way that feels like like I'm trying to do it the other way instead of making the macro and then making the micro about the macro. I'm trying mm. to, I'm trying to micro myself to a macro. I love that. Thanks. Yeah. And I think we're, we're, we're living in a, in a world where audiences love exploring a micro with you and yeah. watching the macro unfold. I think so. I, that's what I'm trying to do. Like I've been writing about it. I've been saying I'm in, I'm in what I'm calling a research period, a chaotic period, an exploratory period. And I'm going to create because it's what I do. Um, and I'm going to try to share everything I can without spoiling a bigger surprise Hmm. who would that I haven't written yet. I, I really, really hate spoiling 
my own work and I need yeah. to get over it. I, know. I feel it because too. it's like, it's like no one, no one cares if they learn what some of the twists are in macabre early. I care that they don't because I want them to experience it fresh yeah. because that's how I want to experience as an audience member, but I don't have the kind of credibility. It's a good point. With I, people yeah. are ready for them to go. It's well said. For them to go. Uh, oh, whatever he does, I'm going to be interested in I'll whatever go that with surprise you. is. Right. Right. I have to, People, I have to bring them in and, if, and, th and them go, I wish I had experienced this. And then maybe the next thing you write, they'll trust you. Exactly. Oh, Ooh. Ow. It scares me, but it's also really cool. And also you're 34. I'm 35. We have so much life to live. We have so much. I hope. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I went through a phase where I was like, I'm tired. Take me now. I, I'm not, I don't have any thoughts of self-harm, but I do I, just. I literally said a sentence like this to someone like last week. Like I, I've never felt suicidal. I've never felt like I've, I've never had any thoughts of self-harm, but that, ex that existential exhaustion is really real. It's so real. And I'm, I'm coming out of it and I'm like, okay, all right, time to take care of my body. Yeah. Ugh. That's why I'm thinking about abundance too. And this knee injury, like, I mean, I feel like people are annoyed with me, like talking about it, but it has been something in my life. Like it has made me reality check some things in yeah. a way that maybe I wouldn't have unless a much more intense tragedy had occurred. Like I feel, I feel all things considered like pretty grateful for like the challenge of this experience for making me kind of snap out of some of that. Yeah. I know very few people I think that would be as frustrated having to slow down as much as you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It really, <laughs> it was a depression. It, I mean, it was like a, yeah, but in some ways I didn't slow down at all in like my, in my evolution as a person, because that slowing down is the evolution, you know? Good. Yeah. Good. Love that. Um, I mean, slowing down in certain ways, like having more abundance. Yeah. Oh, Drew, I love you so much. It's so good to too. talk to you. Let me ask you these little final questions. They're just little, right. you take them where your heart is today. Um, the one is on this day, what's your dream collaboration? On every day, it's Taika Waititi making some kind of weird musical film. Yeah. On every day. He's doing something. I love it. That's great. Yeah. And then where can people find your work? Macabmusical.com. Okay, great. At Macabre Musical. And what if, what if people want to read this Broadway thing that you are writing? What if people want to read your, your activism? Where can they find that? They can contact me and I will talk their ear off Okay. and let them read something that's currently too messy. Okay. Okay, great. Drew, thank you so much. Should we say goodbye to like the podcast and then chat yes. for another minute or sure? Okay. Yes, please. Well, Drew, it's always a pleasure. I just was, I had forgotten. I'm sure you didn't forget, but I had forgotten that your episode was episode 100 and, and I've done one other so-and-so returns, which is going to come out next. Great. And then this is the second, like, you know, person returns. And I'm really excited about this kind of verdant new landscape of, you know, the second level of conversation. And thanks for coming on this journey with me. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> You're welcome. Let's say bye. 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 Goodbye now. 
Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.